0: Good morning. Good morning. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. I hope that you feel loved today. What an amazing uh, set of uh, songs we we're singing today. Just reminded of how much God loves you. And, and boy, I would love that if that's your takeaway from coming to Grace Community Church today, that you were reminded how desperately God loves you and is coming after you. That would be just amazing. Going to talk today, uh, continuing our series on the other side of yes. That there are some things that we can only learn by saying yes to God in this area in our life, in our life. And some, some amazing messages already. We'll start a new series uh, next week. Uh, Jim will be uh, back. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor John. And uh, excited to be with you guys today. I recently got a text earlier this week before Thanksgiving about a reminder. Uh, it was a reminder of a dentist appointment that I have coming up here soon. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I, no, no offense uh, to all my friends that are in the dental field, um, but nobody really likes going to the dentist. You know, just, or least, you know there's no reason to be scared. There's, there's nothing to be fearful of. It's just no matter what you say, like laying back and opening your mouth wider than it is intended to be opened and letting someone stare down your throat, it's just not fun. It's just, it's just not a fun thing to do. And, uh, and so, you know, so when I get this text, I'm kind of like, huh, really? Like, it's time again? And, uh, you know, they don't help themselves, though, because the way they lay out their instruments when you walk into the dental, you know, office, you know, they, I, and I, I ask myself, I look, kind of look at them, I'm like, what are they going to do with that? <laughs> you know? And, um... Uh, I'm glad that they're arranged, you know, in a way that's easy for the hygienist or the dentist to grab. I'm glad for that. But, you know, there are other people that lay out their instruments in a way to, to try to intimidate you. We, we call them torturers, and that's what that reminds me of when I go in there. The worst is when you need to get some kind of sedation, I, and, and, you know, I am glad to not be awake. I am glad to not be awake while they wreak havoc, you know, on my mouth, but I, I, I am a little nervous of what I'm going to say when I wake up. Tara and I have some really funny video of each other um, from when we each got our wisdom teeth removed uh, a while back. And uh, the things that we were saying, of course that was us prompting each other to say funny stuff, so it's not really fair and a lot of it's way out of context. But anyway, pretty funny video. I'm always nervous about what I'm going to say. You know, those are the mornings when you know that you're going to get sedated or whatever, where you like, I get up extra early and I read lots of scripture. You know, I read like just chapters after chapters so that when I wake up, what comes out of my mouth is like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the... That's what I want to come out of my mouth. Not like what I really thought of the person's outfit who was sitting next to me in the waiting room. (laughs) I, I don't want, you know, or what I really think about my coworkers, especially my boss, like I don't want that to, you know, to come out of my mouth when I'm coming out of sedation there. When, I, when my son Ethan, who's uh, 13 now, almost 14, he was four or five, so this is a while ago, I was, in the, I was in the room with him. He had to get some kind of procedure done and, and was getting, uh, uh, you know, kind of sedated for that. And he was starting to just say some really weird stuff. And before that had happened, he was talking to the hygienist about her shirt. She had a, a Colts shirt on. She was a Colts fan. And uh, Ethan's a very passionate uh, football fan and uh, doesn't root for the Colts. And, and so as he's going kind of in and out, he says, if you don't start rooting for the Eagles, my dad is going to spank you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like standing there. I'm like, ma'am, I am not going to spank you. <laughs> like you can root for the Colts all you want. That's, that's really unprofessional for him to, to say that. And so, you know, I guess all that to say, like, pray for me like in about a week when I have to go to the dentist, uh, that, uh, that, it goes, that it goes well. The thing about going to the dentist, you're wondering, where is he going with that? And I do have a point. The thing about going to the dentist is that often Christians think about prayer the same way. It's something that we know we should do more often, but we don't naturally get excited about it. That's true. Whether, you know, we want to admit it or not, it's something that we all know we should do more, but we just don't naturally get excited about it. It doesn't come natural to most of us. Prayer. I've never met a Christian who hasn't admitted, I wish I prayed more. I've never met a Christian in all my years, and and myself, I'm included in this, who doesn't have a goal in life to pray more, who doesn't think they probably should pray more than they do. And that's what we're talking today about getting to the other side of yes when it comes to prayer. Prayer. Because there are some things that can only happen in our hearts and in our lives on the other side of being a prayer. There are some things, some truths that God can only teach you on the other side of being a prayer. There are some depths that God can only lead you to on the other side of you spending time with Him in prayer. I often walk away from prayer warriors inspired to pray more so that I can grow to a place in my understanding and my relationship with God that they are at. I've been a Christian now for over 20 years and I still am reminded daily that there is so much more depth possible than what is there in my relationship with God. I am reminded that I haven't even begun to mine the deepest regions in my connection with my Savior. Of where he could lead me if I was truly lock and step with him. And that kind of richness, that kind of depth, that kind of love between us and Jesus only comes on the other side of saying yes to prayer. That's why Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What they were saying was, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Jesus, I want the kind of relationship with Father that you have. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews today. Chapter four, verse 16 Hebrews is towards the very end of the Bible. If you need one, raise your hand. Our ushers would gladly give you one so you can follow that along and that'll be our gift to you if you need a Bible. <clears throat> this open invitation that Jesus offers for this kind of relationship that I was describing, he, please hear me, it is open to every single believer. It is not reserved For only a few. But God desires that type of close, deep, intimate, personal friendship with every single one of us. And the author of Hebrews describes the difference that Christ coming into the world has made in our relationship with God. As you understand the context of this verse here, we now have the ability to go directly to the Lord without any kind of priest or any other person to come between us. Hebrews 4.16 explains that. Let's stand and read it together. Just this one verse. Hebrews 4.16, here we go, we'll read together. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks, you can have a seat. Let us then approach God's throne, throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of need. For most of us, we view prayer as something that we should do, as a task for us to accomplish. A couple weeks ago, our young adults were down at the lodge for a retreat, and the speaker there, Roger Pugh, who's a retired professor from Grace College and Seminary, he shared a truth, a statement that was amazing, was 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 like new and fresh for me. He said this, I want to say it to you. Prayer is not an activity, it's a relationship. Prayer is not an activity, it's a relationship. That's what you see over and over in the Gospels where Jesus would pull aside the kind of conversations that he had with God, with his father, showed that it wasn't just something he was doing to kind of check it off his list, but he was pursuing a relationship with his father. There was a relationship behind it. Over and over again, we see Jesus pulling away from others in order to spend time with his father. And that's what you see here the author of Hebrews, Hebrews describing. The message version translates this verse, Hebrews 4.16. It says, so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. I love the relationship. Just walk right up to him and just take what he's willing, what he wants to give you. Accept the mercy and the help. It's all about a relationship and prayer is how we communicate with our Father who loves us so much. It's interesting that every faith has its own form of praying. From remote tribal villages and islands way off in the ocean, have a connection with their God, some way of communicating to the ancient Aztecs and Incas from Central America, and their relationship, their connection to their God, to even modern day Muslims today who stop five times to pray every day. Prayers across all faiths. Even atheists find ways to pray. Do you know that during the the height of communism in the Soviet Union, that Russians were encouraged to come to this uh, hall where there was this large painting of Joseph Stalin. And there they were encouraged to sit in this chair when they had to make tough decisions, when they felt pressure at work or from their family to come sit and to think about Joseph Stalin to find strength and wisdom. Even atheists find ways to pray. The person who doesn't have any thought or any relationship of God or with God, when they are in a crisis, their thoughts turn to prayer. God, help me. God, help us. They cry out to God because there's something inside of us that wants to communicate with the God who created us and made us. And you know that the, even the root, the, the root of the Latin word for prayer is precarius, which is interesting because that is the cousin to our word precarious. And prayer is what we do when we are in a precarious situation. Prayer is what we do when we are in a desperate situation. And isn't that when we are the best prayers when we are desperate for God's help, when we recognize how much we need him, when we recognize that that we can do nothing without him, that is when we become the best prayers, when we are precarious. The trick is that we forget how desperate, how precarious our lives really are. This week I had a cold, my wife calls it a man cold, Because when I get one of these, I can't do anything. I'm incapacitated. (laughs) And it's kind of crazy how fragile we are as humans that just a little bit of a cold just takes us off our game. We really are fragile. But we miss that, and then we miss our need for prayer, our need for God. Why is it so hard to get to the other side of yes in prayer? Let me give us a couple reasons to consider that I thought about here this week. And there are lots of reasons, but here are a few. Number one, I think advances in science and technology make it hard for us to pray. We don't look to God for weather help anymore, we just check our app. We, We don't cry out to God to heal our sicknesses, we call an ambulance. think because of all the advances that we've had, we kind of forget our dependency on God for our health, for our care, that God is behind the science, that God is behind those who are able to help us with our diseases. Another reason that is difficult for us to pray is just the, the skepticism that is in our world today. It taints prayer We're tempted to think, why should we pray? What good will that do against nuclear threats, against wildfires, against terrorists, against hurricanes and climate change? And so we just sort of live in this world of skepticism of kind of what good will that do anyway? It's overwhelming. There's trouble everywhere. And I think that leads us to not pray or tempts us to not pray. I think another temptation is because of our prosperity. Prosperity dilutes prayer. We're tempted to rely on our talent, to rely on our resources to solve problems. We rely on insurance policies and retirement plans to secure our futures rather than God. And so we're tempted to live in this world where we, I don't really need to trust God. I mean, I do pray, I do trust God, but. I have this insurance policy or I have this retirement plan or I have these other things that I'm, I'm really banking on my skills. I know that I can carry us through this hard time, through this slow economy, through this difficult season if I just work harder because I, I know that I'm skilled. I know that I have what it takes. And we're tempted to trust those things that we have set up or to trust ourselves instead of trusting God in prayer. I think that uh, time pressures make it hard to pray. The leisurely pace required to pray is squeezed out by all the commitments that we have. Even our communication with humans has gotten shorter from long conversations and writing letters to sending a quick email to now sending a quick text. We don't even use words, do we? We just use small symbols, phrases, emojis, communicate what we want to communicate. I'm the king of the thumbs up. Got it. Got it. I know what you want. Got it. And if we don't have time for relationships and conversations with other people, that certainly can include time for God as well. And so I think all those things make it difficult to pray. But here's the thing, because those are our contexts where we live here, in other parts of the world, it may be different. At other times of history, of course, there were different things that got in the way of prayer because here's the number one reason why it's difficult to pray is spiritual opposition. You and I have an enemy. You and I have an enemy who knows that if we are connected with God, that if we had, have a deeper relationship with him, that we will live life more above our circumstances instead of more defeated where he'd like us to live. He knows that if he can distract us from prayer, that we are giving up our best resource to overcome the challenges that we face in our lives. And so the enemy makes it difficult to pray. He distracts us, he tempts us, he fools us, he tricks us into thinking good things like science or technology, good things like retirement plans, Become the end-all thing for us, instead of a piece of how God is providing and working on our behalf. Let me read Hebrews 4:16, one more time. The author says, "Let us then approach. God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do we capture that kind of relationship? How do we capture that kind of relationship where we go boldly into the throne room of God to find the grace, to find the mercy that we need uh, every single day that we're desiring? Well, let's take a look at another story in scripture. It's in the Old Testament that I think will describe a relationship similar to the one that we're hoping to have with God. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we're going to meet a man whose name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is an interesting character in Scripture. Perhaps you've heard of him before. Uh, He has an interesting name that's sort of hard to forget. But here in chapter 4, we, we meet him. He is the son of Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul, the king of the nation of Israel. And so Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Saul, who was the king, his heart becomes so hard and evil towards God that God actually has a plan to replace him and to change uh, the king to David, to change the nation of Israel over to David. And so, here in, in a terrible battle in, this, in the valley of Jezreel, both Saul and Jonathan are killed, and Israel falls to the Philistines. And so here, we're we're gonna meet Mephibosheth here in a second. Under this defeat, little Mephibosheth loses his father, loses his grandfather, and now he loses his future as well. And in the midst of that, he also loses his ability to even walk. Let me read for you verse four of 2 Samuel 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. A difficult start to life for this little five-year-old boy. David becomes king in the next chapter, in chapter 5, and in the next couple of chapters, David is establishing his kingdom here. He defeats the Philistines, uh, takes back the nation of Israel and establishes uh, the nation way beyond anything that Saul had ever done. And in chapter 9, he asks a question. He secured, has secured the kingdom and he's sort of reflecting and remembering. And so he asks in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 9, He says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, "He is at the house of Maker, the son of Amuel in Lodabar." So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amuel. Here we meet Mephibosheth again, and we pick up the story as David is considering and remembering the time of his friendship with Jonathan. He is looking for someone that he can show kindness to on Jonathan's behalf, his dear friend. But Mephibosheth doesn't know that. Long years after Jezreel, Mephibosheth has grown and he receives this letter where he is to come see the king. And you probably can guess, if you think long enough, what he thought might be happening. It's long been sort of a, a, a known thing that when one king's dynasty was taking over another king's dynasty, that that new king would kill off everybody that had any kind of claim to the throne. And so that is what's going through Mephibosheth's mind as he gets this summons to come visit King David. You know, he was wondering probably, maybe David didn't know about me. Maybe he had forgotten about me. Maybe he had felt sorry for me because he had heard that I had lost use of of my legs, my feet. Maybe for whatever reason he thought, he's not going to. And then he gets this letter. He gets this summons. He gets this messenger who comes to his house and says, the king wants to see you. He was washed up. He had nothing to offer King David. Why would he possibly want to see him other than... He wanted to take his life. In Mephibosheth's mind, there was no other reason for this visit. In a time where those who were disabled were ostracized, Mephibosheth had nothing to offer king. Perhaps he even said, I I never asked him for anything. I never did anything. Why does he want to see me? Let's see what happens in verse six when they meet. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be, what's the word? Afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. When Mephibosheth walks into David's presence or hobbles into David's presence, he bows down to show him honor. He is worried about what the next words out of David's mouth are going to be, and he had to have so much relief because David knew what he was thinking as well. Because David says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The king of Israel offers hope to a ruined man and offers him amazing opportunities beyond his wildest dreams. Look at what he promises him in verse 7. He says, I will show you kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, he offers him kindness. He says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, which was a lot of land. Saul was the king. And you will always eat at my table. Amazing promises that David offers to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth can't believe his ears. He he says in verse 8, he bowed down and he said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Not just a dog, but a dead dog. Why would you even notice me? Why would you give me this kind of kindness? Is Mephibosheth's answer. Why would you show this amazing grace to me? David had no plans at all to hurt this man. Instead, he restored all of his family's land to him and he gave him a seat of honor of which Mephibosheth had never and could never have even dreamed of. Do you see the connection to the gospel here? Do you see the connection how Christ from his throne in heaven looks at our desperate circumstances where we are like dead dogs in our sin? Do you see that he means us no harm, but through his blood, he shows us kindness? Do you see how he restores all that the enemy has taken from us? Do you see how he then gives us and welcomes us to eat at his lavish banquet table? Do you see what Christ has offered to you and to me is what King David offered to Mephibosheth that day? The king of kings welcomes us into his throne room to approach him with confidence so that we may find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And the invitation from David, the man after God's own heart, reflects the invitation to us from God. The same invitation is open to you. That was open to to Mephibosheth. Jesus wants to show you kindness in your state of deadness. Jesus restores to you all that the enemy has taken from you. And Jesus offers you a seat daily at his table to talk with him, to be with him to be like one of his sons and daughters. Do you know what they talk about at the king's table? They talk about kingdom things. And Jesus offers the opportunity to come into him every day and talk about kingdom matters with the king. Things that are going on in your life, things that are happening in in your world, things things that you're working on to try to reach people, things that that just have you down, things that, that have you up. The king would say, how are things going? How's stuff happening in your area? They would have conversation. They, they loved each other. They loved being together. And that is what God offers to us. Do you notice then Mephibosheth takes him up on that offer? Look down at verse 11. Ziba, who becomes Mephibosheth's now servant, says to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth, what's the word? Ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. He took him up on his offer. Will you take the king up on his offer to daily sit with him at his table, to be in his presence? Will you take him up on his offer to to be like one of his sons and daughters? This story illustrates Hebrews 4.16 like no other story could. And I think that's why it's in Scripture. It's all about this relationship that we have with God. Remember, prayer is not an activity, but a relationship. God desires for you and I to sit at His table in His palace and be in kingdom conversations with Him all day long. He wants to be in that kind of conversation, that kind of relationship with you. Well, how do we do that then? Why is it so hard? We push back the enemy's temptations to think we don't need God. We push back the enemy's temptations to think, you know, that we got it figured out, that we're okay without his help, that we can just kind of, you know, be self-made and self-sufficient, and we go to him. But like all good things, prayer requires some discipline. Like all good things in life, prayer requires discipline. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Well, that, John, that sounds like the opposite of relationship. What do you mean discipline? That's, that's not relationship. Well, actually, good relationships takes discipline. If you're, if you're in any good relationship, you're intentional. You prioritize that relationship. You make a discipline about time with that person. That's the only way that a relationship works. When Tara and I got married, we got some really good advice to spend 15 to 30 minutes every day just talking to each other, to set a time. And I remember thinking, 15 to 30 minutes, it like, doesn't sound like anything, you know? And we, were, we were engaged at the time, we were in love. I thought, man, I just, I love talking to her. We'll talk all the time. But we set this up where we had 15 to 30, where we set a time that we were gonna talk, you know, after dinner, every night, before we did anything else, we were just gonna have 15 minutes where I was gonna listen to her talk and she was gonna listen to me talk. And I can't tell you how good that has been for our marriage because it's, it's amazing the things that distract you. It's amazing the things that kind of pull at you and pull you away. Responsibilities, good things that you have to do or, or other distractions to pull you away from the things that are most important. It's the same advice that, that I give every marriage that I'm gonna couple, every couple that I'm gonna marry, I mean, to spend that time together every day. And when our relationship gets into a rut, when our communication or our emotional intimacy are not doing very well it's often one of the habits that will start again to pick another time to pick a place or we're just going to sit and we're just going to talk every day at this certain time at this certain place to get us back onto an upward trend that's how relationships work you don't you don't see that in Hollywood I realize but that's how it works guys and that's how our relationship with God works if we're going to have a, a prayer relationship, we take so, the same mentality of how marriages work, how we learn about them from Hollywood, and we take that to our prayer life, and we think, I just love God. I'm going to spend time with him. No, it takes, it takes discipline. It's the same truth. It takes discipline to grow in our relationship with God. And so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. When it comes to prayer, I want you to decide when, decide where, and decide how. Decide when, where, and how you're going to pray. Pick a place, pick a time every day that you're gonna. This is gonna be your time with the Lord, and then it will grow out of that. And it's an ongoing conversation. Again, it's not something you just do, but it's a relationship. And so you can pray all day, but you start with a specific time, place, and and a plan. For how you're going to do it. There's a lot of great ways to pray. There's a lot of great prayers that you might know that you can kind of lean into for some wisdom, how they might pray. It's a question I often ask people that I respect is how do you pray? What's your prayer life like? And, and I want to learn from them. But here's a couple of ideas, ways that people pray. Some people make a list of all the things they want to pray about. And then just pray through those lists. And when they run out of time, if they have five minutes, they pray for five minutes, they stop there. The next day they pick up right where they stopped and they just kind of keep going through their list. And they just kind of keep going around that list and list for forever. That's a good way to do it. Some people prefer to, to have certain days where they pray about things. On Mondays, maybe they pray for their family. On Tuesdays, they, they pray for their neighbors. On Wednesday, they pray for their small group or something. And, and on you know, Thursdays, they pray for you know, people in government. They have a kind of a plan where certain days they pray for things. That's a good way, if that works for you, great. That's a good way to do it. Um, some people like to prayer walk. You know, Some of us find conversation face-to-face hard to do and, and some of us though when we're kind of driving somewhere or walking somewhere, we, we are more apt to talk. The same might be in your relationship with God. You, you might do better driving or, or, or walking and talking to God as you go along. That might be your place to connect with him and to really have a plan and a place where you're gonna pray. That's a good way if that works um, for you. Uh, another way to kind of spice up, sort of, you know, kind of grow your prayer life is if you find a list of uh, biblical names for God or titles for God or attributes of God in Scripture. And there are many, 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 many. You can, you can Google and find out kind of um, different names of God from the Scriptures. And then to take one every day and just sort of reflect on it. You know, God uh, is called uh, our shepherd, and you might just take a few moments to say, God, you know, and talk to him. Why, why, why are you a shepherd? Or I'm so glad that you're a shepherd. God, it's not, you know, when I think of sheep, they seem really, they seem really dumb. God, why, why am I compared to sheep? God, it seems like, it seems like a shepherd, you know, has to do everything for a sheep. You know, is that how our relationship is? Oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. And you take time and then you take another, you take another name for God, and you kind of wonder why that, and you just talk to him, and that might be a way to grow your relationship with him. It's just to praise him for all these attributes of God or all these names of God. And there are so many more ways that you can pray, but those are a couple to maybe get you started to to decide when, to decide where, to decide how. But remember the key, even in a discipline, is that prayer is a relationship. That is God inviting you in, that he wants to talk with you. And then beyond that, besides praying with discipline, then you pray when the spirit prompts you. You could be talking to a friend. You could be driving along in a car on a run through the woods about to go into a big test or a big presentation just thinking about something. And you just close a conversation that you have. You say, God, man, you hear all that stuff we were just talking about and, and you know that we need your help. And, and and you just take those things right in the middle of a conversation to the Lord. Prayer is not an activity. Instead, it is a relationship. And here's what I want to remind you most of today. You have a father who wants to spend time with you. You have a father who wants you to come to him for help, for grace, for mercy. As I reflected uh, this week, I've 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 kind of been given a small glimpse of what this looks like as I've thought about my own kids. I have four of them. We recently got a family photo taken. And uh, that's a good-looking bunch right there, isn't it? But i got to be honest. Family photos are not how life usually functions. We're all smiling and looking at each other, and we look great. That's not how families... Function. At least not mine. Maybe yours does. There's a, there's a lot of uh, running around. There's a lot of trying to figure out schedules. There's a, there's a lot of uh, waking up early, going to bed late, washing all the dishes, cooking endless meals, doing loads of laundry. There's a lot of that that goes into to make it work. It's a team effort from everyone in our family to make our family work, and it's usually not very pretty. There's also often miscommunication, misunderstandings, where you need to then figure stuff out and talk it through again and again and again. But when you do it, you do all of that, all that stuff that kind of makes up a family. You do it for those moments when you get to connect. You do all of that for those moments when you get to connect with your kids and that's what makes it all worth it. Sometimes those moments don't come for a long time. Sometimes you're in a good season where those moments seem to come regularly. Thanksgiving night, we were at my in-laws and Ellie and Tara and Tara's mom were out doing some shopping and Emery was down already for the night and Elisha and Tara's dad were watching their ninth hour of football. Ethan, our 13-year-old son and I, were sitting in the living room by ourselves and we talked for about an hour. And in that hour, he probably said like 25 words. When you take away all the yes, I don't know, or grunts that teen boys make when you ask them questions. But you know, that was probably my favorite part of the day. That time just to sort of connect with him to be with him, to, to hear what was really happening inside of his heart. To have some quality one-on-one time with one of my kids is a treasure. It's awesome. And I think that's what prayer is like at its best. I wish I could convince you. I wish I could convince myself that we have a loving Heavenly Father that wants to spend time with us. That is just filled with joy when we open up to him. When we talk about what's going on in our lives. When we just say thanks for the good things that he has for us. And when we share what we're working on, what we're doing together. And we share that together. I think that's what prayer is like at its best. I think We can picture God holding the world together, making everything happen, just like we do with our families, in order to give us an opportunity to spend time with Him in relationship, to reach out to Him, to approach His throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and may find help in our time of need. As we close today's service, I want to do it a little differently. I want to give each of us, all of us, some time with the Lord to pray. And so this is your chance to put away your Bible, to put down your cell phone, which I know you're only looking at because it's your Bible, and to spend some time with the Lord. Maybe take a moment to, to thank him for salvation, for what it means for, for him to come into our world Maybe take some time to praise him for being the king of kings and think about what that means for him to be the king and for you to be in his presence each day. And take some time to ask him for grace and for mercy in whatever situations you wanna bring up in your life. But take this time right now to go into the throne room of God and to spend time with him. Father, it's an amazing thing that we can come into your presence. I pray we would have that sense of awe, Lord, the way Mephibosheth must have felt that day when King David offered to him all that he did. God, that that was nothing compared to what you offer us. And so I pray that we would take you up on that offer come into your presence. Thank you. Lord, I I love that when we pray um, that we are all equal, that you are so high above us that we recognize how precarious things really are in our lives. And all of us are the same. And so Lord, the, the, the one who comes to you today who is hurting and struggling in a season of life where they are under just a trial Lord I'm glad that we have prayer because we can turn to you and we can be okay with not being okay Lord we don't have to fake happiness or um, like we have it all together in front of you we don't have to do that God, when we're going through a good season and you've come through for us in some ways that we can recognize and we appreciate, God, we can be excited in your presence too and we can praise you, Lord. So no matter where we're at today, God, we're with you and that's what's important. So Jesus, I pray, Lord, for victory. I pray, God, for insight, God, into how much you love us. That's what Paul prayed for. Remind us of that again. Thank you for today, for your word, for the story of Mephibosheth, for the writer of Hebrews, reminding us to boldly come to your presence. This day, this week, and this month, I pray that that would happen. God, we are desperate for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. We'll start a new series next week.